this morning's really exciting because we are starting our new year-long theme for preaching, which I'm super excited about. Uh, So Pastor Chris is going to come up and join us to talk about the rhythm of life. This was this was released in 1983. <laughs> Who's old enough to uh, have remembered this? Beautifully done. Thank you, guys. You may take your seats. Who knows that having a rhythm in life is actually really important? And no, yeah. I was going to say <laughs> my dancing wasn't that bad, was it? <laughs> Don't answer that. And one of the things that I think over the last three years that we've lost is including God in that rhythm. And so for this year, one of our focuses, one of our foci, I'm not quite sure how, how that goes down, is going to be including God into the rhythms of our life more than perhaps we have in the last few years. One of the things that has stopped us, I think, is the substitution of technology for personal contact in our connections and uh, one of the things that we've done and we talked about last week is we've actually stopped public streaming of our services they're still available as a podcast and for people who are uh, unable to get to church or incapacitated in some way the the stream is uh, privately available to them hi there if you're on there this morning but what it enables us to do I think is to actually Bring back that whole aspect, I guess, of our praise and our worship where we have uh, a time where we can connect with God during the service uh, on the altar. And I'm going to give an opportunity at the end of my message for people to come forward on that altar and all will become clear as I, as I speak. Um, but I've titled my message this morning, Mostly Harmless. And for those of you who haven't read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, it comes from a a quote from uh, one of the researchers for The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy who has come to Earth to update the Hitchhiker's Guide entry for Earth, which reads, Harmless. Now, he's supposed to come to Earth for two weeks, but ends up being there 15 years and writes a huge compendium on what Earth is really like. And when he submits it back to the editors at the Hitchhiker's Guide, they amend the uh, entry in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy to read, mostly harmless. And so, of course, the protagonist of this story, an earthling by the name of Arthur Dent, is understandably highly indignant at such an offhand description of something of great value to him. And I think this is a problem that we face uh, in today's postmodern Western society, that there's this idea that as human beings, one of our greatest struggles is fighting against the perception that we are not particularly worthy of attention, that we are somehow insignificant, that our ideas are not worth listening to, and that our voices are small and pitiful. Even as Christians, we find it difficult to have a voice or be a significant influence in a world which seems to 
divided into factions which are either increasingly hostile or increasingly apathetic. Which are you? Apathetic, right. <laughs> gotcha. Um, okay. And th the trouble is that this leads to people either being reviled or ignored, which I believe has led to a spike in depression, anxiety and suicide. We are searching for meaning and significance, but we're not sure how to achieve it. So how do we rise above all this? How do we connect with God on a deeper level? And how do we find meaning and significance? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we have this, this, this book called the Bible. And the biblical authors, particularly in much of the Old Testament, address these very issues from a similar perspective to ours. Because I don't know whether you know this, but the Old Testament was written in times of struggle and strife. Now, if we look at, let's say, the beginning. Anybody ever read the beginning of the Bible, book of Genesis? Who knows that Genesis is not an eyewitness account? There was nobody following Adam and Eve around with a notebook, or there was, there was no drone in the Garden of Eden sort of filming everything that, that happened. It's, it's not actually an eyewitness report. So the question is, when was it written, and by whom, and what issues was the author or authors trying to address when they wrote the Genesis account? And so this whole idea that, that most of the Old Testament was written when the Israelites were either being oppressed or in slavery or both, and their outlook on life was pretty grim. Now, who's been enslaved? Nobody here? <laughs> Some of the teachers are raising their hands. <laughs> um, who's been oppressed? Some people feel that that's happened. But I don't think we can really understand what it's like to actually be taken off in chains to a foreign country and actually totally enslaved. But the authors of the Old Testament wrote what is in the Old Testament for a people who were desperately crying out and needed God. And so the interesting thing is that if we look at the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that it addresses a few things that not only did the ancient Israelites need, but that we need. Because I don't know whether you realize this, but during the captivity in Egypt, which was 400 odd years, and the exile in Babylon, the Israelites actually were really heavily exposed to the worship practices of other cultures, and especially in, in Egypt, they'd actually lost touch with the God of their forefathers. Exodus 3 6, uh, God has to introduce himself to Moses. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's sort of like, you know, I'm God. Do you know these people? Because I've met them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, ring a bell. So, so God is, is reconnecting here. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. So the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2 addresses the issues of who is God, who are we, and what is our relationship to God? Because it is the answer to these questions that actually gives us our significance and our destiny. And so the, the fascinating thing about all this is, who knows the Bible wasn't written in a vacuum? 
We, we, I think we, we look at it, it wasn't actually written as a book either, but we'll talk about that some other time. But the, the, the thing is that what we read in the Bible, I mean, Adam and Eve's account sounds somewhat primordial soupish. It's quite far in the past. But when that was written, it was actually written much later in a, in a time and a place where the Israelites were being enslaved. And so they were amidst other cultures. And guess what? These other cultures had their own creation stories and their own gods. There were Babylonian gods like Marduk and Tiamat. There were Canaanite gods such as Baal and Dagon. Egyptian gods, name half of those, Ra, Osiris, Isis, all sorts of different gods there. And the thing that really freaks a lot of people out is that their creation stories have areas of great similarity to the biblical creation narrative, which has led a lot of people to accusations that the Israelites just borrowed earlier stories of, to make their own up. And that's, that's about the equivalent of me saying that because we use scientific terms in our everyday language, that we've just borrowed these ideas from scientists. But it actually, what has actually happened, in the beginning that might have been true, but we use those terms because they actually make it easier for us as a society to communicate ideas to one another. And so we, we haven't borrowed them. They've, they're actually, they make things easier to understand. The only, the only exception I would make to that rule is where somebody tries to tell you that paper towels are absorbent because they contain scientifically proven water retention technology. <laughs> Any of those ads that you see, they're lying. But there's, there's actually a, a really important concept in this cre creation narrative in the Bible because there's actually a deliberately strong contrast between Yahweh and other gods and the narrative makes an equally strong statement about our relationship with him. Is anybody following so far? I'm going somewhere. Yeah. You all following? Good. So let me explain. Every other creation story that you can name involves conflict. It's conflict between gods and other gods. There's between gods and humans and between humans and humans. That, that covers everyone, doesn't it? Gods are sneaky, corrupt, self-serving, capricious, enslaving, and they terrorize human beings. Who wants to know them? The creation stories involve war, torture, human sacrifice, which makes the relationship between the gods and their creation somewhat un unstable. In fact, somewhat unpleasant you would say, in a lot of cases. And we've, we've read a lot of these things that appear in popular mythology. You've all heard the story of Prometheus. He, he, he stole fire from the gods to, so that humans could have fire. And so the gods chained him up to a rock. And every day an eagle comes and eats his liver, which regenerates. And Who'd want to worship some, a god who did that to you? And there's all sorts of weird and wonderful stories about the... The fact that, you know, especially in Greek mythology, the, 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 the Homer and the Iliad, the great stories of Odysseus and, and the, the city of Troy, if you read those, there's, the gods take sides. You know, battles are won because, you know, uh, Athena loved um, Achilles. And so she helped him go around and, and slaughter lots of people. And that upset one of the other gods. So he, he told one of the uh, opposition how to kill Achilles, you know. He was held under the river Styx by his ankle, and so if you shoot him in the ankle, he'll die. There's, there's all sorts of weird stuff 
that goes on. And so, in contrast, we've got a narrative here which very purposefully demonstrates that these are false gods and false stories and that Yahweh is the real deal. And that does that by taking a radically different approach using the language of the time. It reveals only one God, Yahweh. Creation occurs, guess what? No killing, no war, no torture. In fact, no violence at all. In fact, if you, if you read it, there are three words. Then God said. The word brought the world into existence. Yahweh, God then puts mankind in charge of creation. That is unheard of. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but it's unheard of. <laughs> Genesis 1.27 says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So this is unique. This is unheard of. And the fourth thing is that Yahweh prepares a place for Adam to be with him. Now, think about this. Let me ask you a question. Where was Adam born? Now, I know that Adam wasn't born. But you think about this. If he had to have a passport... What would the place of birth be on his passport? Garden of Eden. Except, listen to this. Genesis 2 verse 7. Then God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostril and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and there he placed the man he had made. Adam was not created in the Garden of Eden. Adam was created in the world. The Garden was not his home until God prepared a place for him. Right off the bat, within the first few pages of Genesis, the impact on ancient readers and hopefully on us as modern readers is world-changing. We get the answers to the questions, who are we? We are God's chosen creation. What is our purpose? To be in right relation with God. And what is our destiny? To be co-rulers over this earth with God himself. That's pretty cool. Now, it brings to the fore the fact that we are not mostly harmless. We are worthy of God's attention. He has prepared a place for us. His very first act on creation was to prepare a place for Adam to meet with him. And, he, and if we look through scripture, this, this motif repeats itself time and time again. And it's always this motif of central circle. You think, the, the, the fertile land that we're talking about here is, is this place at the junction of the Euphrates and the Tigris River, I think. And so there was a place called Eden in the middle of that. And in the middle of Eden, God planted a garden called the Garden of Eden. 
Because Eden wasn't just the garden. There was the land of Eden, then the garden of Eden. And what was in the center of the garden? The tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that, that idea that God should be central to our lives and that we can, we can get closer to God in, in ever-increasing degrees of intimacy is carried in almost every situation where people meet God in the Bible. The, the whole idea of the, the temple, the Jewish camp, was set up in a circle. And in the middle, guess what was in the middle? The tabernacle. There was the outer court, there was the inner court, and there was the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And if you wanted to get close to God, guess what? You got closer to the center. The temple that Solomon built, the same idea happened. When Moses gave his last speech about how they were, the Israelites were, go, were to go into the promised land, there's a, a, a reference there that's, that's actually fun to read uh, about where Abraham met God the first time was in a town called Shechem. And in that town were two trees and it was surrounded by hills and the funny thing is that as Moses prepared not that he was going but prepared the Israelites to go into the promised land guess where he stood in the town of Shechem with the two trees surrounded by hills and there's this this constant idea that God wants to meet with us God prepares a place for us but we have to take up that offer to come to that place to actually share it with God. Can I get the worship team back up here? However we structure our lives, whatever the rhythm of our life is, I believe we need to actually start to begin to put Jesus at the center of it. We need to start making space for a place. Whether we do that in our daily prayer life, whether we do that in connect groups. How long has it been? Dinner parties. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get shot when I get down. <laughs> and whether we do it in our Sunday services. I think if we really want to connect with God, we've got to start getting into that habit and that rhythm of recognizing that He has put aside a place. We call it the altar. And so I, wa I want us to get some practice in. Because I know this is, this is something that we haven't done for a while. It may feel a bit uncomfortable. But I actually want to invite people onto the altar this morning. Can I, can I ask everybody just to stand? And on God's behalf, I want to invite you into that place that he has prepared for you now before we do this what I'm going to ask, invite you anybody just to come out on the altar I'm not going to pray for anyone this is just this is just a response to that knowledge that you know that first act after creation was to prepare a place to meet with his chosen people which is us now we have to take one step first we have to acknowledge that we are his chosen people we have to say, Lord, okay, I want to meet with you. I see you've prepared a place for me. I determine in my heart, I'm going to speak with my lips the fact that you are my Lord and Savior. The name of Jesus is above 
every other name that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And when you come out on the altar, if you haven't ever done that and you want to do that this morning, I encourage you to take that step. Uh, Vicky and I will be here on the altar after the service uh, to pray for anyone. If, if you do that this morning and you, you take a step to accept Jesus and you've never done that before, please come and see us after the service. We'd love to pray with you and help you with the next steps for that. But I just want to let everybody have an opportunity right now to come into that place, to understand that for you personally, God has prepared a place, but we actually have to take that step of faith to walk into it. So as the band sings, I just want people to move forward, stand on the altar and begin to just worship and meet with God in the place that he has prepared. Thanks, guys. Come on, the altar's open.